0: Well today's scripture will go right along with Jan's junior, junior sermon. It's found in, in second, second Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Church of Corinth, and it's right near the end, and, and it is the end, actually. It's found in uh, chapter 13 verses 11 through 14. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss, all the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Very familiar words, the word of the Lord.
1: Don't worry, I'm not going to talk about holy kisses. Okay, let's stop. A... Today is kickoff Sunday, and we begin Sunday school and get back to our sort of usual worship schedule. And uh, it's always a great time for me. I think because I went to school for so very long, uh, I live an academic calendar. I think in terms of an academic. Anybody out there think in terms of an academic calendar? So it's kind of the start of a new year, right? And I love this time of year. I love that that with the weather cooling off, I'm getting out all my hoodies and my sweaters. Like I'm ready for fall. I'm not really ready for what comes after, but I'm ready for fall. Um, College football is on. The Steelers play today. And uh, it's just an exciting time of year. And so as I was thinking about this time of year and thinking about kickoff Sunday, I started to think about uh, the, the idea of knowing and engaging our minds and, uh, and our emphasis on learning about God. Why, why is Sunday school important? How do we know things about God? And so uh, you might think of this sermon a little bit like an Oreo. You can think of it like a sandwich, but I prefer Oreos. Okay, What I want to do first is talk about how we know things about God. And then I want to get to the cream, which is we're we're going to look at the idea of the Trinity a little bit and talk about how the church sort of figured out the Trinity and what was that process like. And then I'm going to go back to the cookie, and I'm going to talk again and reflect one more time about how we know things and why engaging our mind is important. I should probably start out by saying that education is a particular emphasis of the Presbyterian church. Um, There are other traditions that do it too. I'm not saying that, but In the the Presbyterian Church, it's like really a part of our DNA to think of education, okay? Uh, Our pastors are really well-educated. When we get involved in missions, the Presbyterian Church has built schools for years and years and years. And when we build our churches, we even often build it like one part's a church, and the other was like a wing that looks like a school with hallways and classrooms, right? So you can see even in our church architecture, We tend to be a a denomination, a a, uh, sort of emphasis in the church that focuses on education. It's part of our DNA, it's part of our tradition. At the same time, the church has always felt like uh, knowledge has been important. The Apostle Paul writes about being transformed by what? Renewing your mind. Um, The gospel writers try to explore who Jesus is. In the Jewish tradition, knowledge is really, really important. You read yourself into these stories and you argue with them, and you wrestle with them, and you question them, and you debate them, that part of following God, it meant that you engaged your mind. And here's the Jewish and Christian understanding. The idea is that God is infinite. Okay, To, to us, God is so other, God is so not like us, that we can go our whole lives studying and never understand God. Okay, God is just so other, so infinite, so not us, That our little brains can't even handle God. But here's what happens. God accommodates himself to us. Okay? Uh, The way you might think of it is God gets down on one knee. You ever do that for a kid? When they don't understand something that's going on and you get down on one knee and try to explain it to them on their level? That's what God does with us. He comes to us and he gets down on one knee and he starts to talk to us and starts to teach his people who he is. And over time, he reveals more and more of himself. So the picture gets clearer and clearer. So in the Bible, when you read earlier stories, you're going to find them to be uh, sort of uh, chaotic. And God is this really otherworldly kind of entity and a storm God. Because that's all they knew. And so God gave them what they knew. But as, as uh, you might think of the Bible like a telescope, um, that uh, as the Bible goes along, God reveals himself more. So the telescope lengthens. And it gets clearer and clearer. So that by the time we get to Jesus, we get this much fuller picture of who God is. Not that God changes, but over time we get to know Him more, okay? And we've done that with each other, right? You get to know somebody, and over time you get to know them more, and you get to know them better. And uh, and that's what God does with His people. God can do that in a lot of ways. God speaks in the Bible through nature, through history. God speaks through logic. Your experiences can teach you something about God. We can teach each other something about God. But the authoritative and definitive way that God reveals himself is through his word. Okay, The Bible is the one we go back to to say, was all this other stuff I'm starting to learn about God uh, actually true or not? I mean, God can use burning bushes and pillars of clouds and as I preached last week, even tingling ears, right? But the double check, the one thing we always come back to as a church is the Bible, because the Bible is this long process of our family, of our history, of our tradition, trying to wrestle with who is God and what is God about. And so we go back and we read their words. We believe inspired by God and God revealing himself over time. This was often done in community. And this is where I think the American church has made some mistakes. Okay, we really like to talk about personal salvation in your personal faith. And, and it is personal. I don't want to take away from the fact that it's personal. But when God, when Paul inspires, when God inspires Paul to write a letter to the Corinthians, okay, he's not writing to a person, is he? He's writing to the church. And you know what the church would do? He would, somebody would stand up and read out loud the scriptures and then we would talk about it. Somebody would teach from it. Somebody would write some questions and it was about trying to get into those words in a different way, but always in community. If there's something I think the, the American church, the Western church, but particularly the American church has made a mistake, is we've made the faith too individualistic, okay? Yes, God saves you, but there's a, there's, a, there's a way in which God is always speaking to and working through us, okay? And you can't have the you without the us, okay? If you have friends that say that I want to be uh, spiritual but not religious doesn't make sense in the Bible. You can't, you can't be spiritual by yourself. It's a community thing. So what the community, the people of God has to do is they have to study. We have to learn. We have to dive in. And because God is infinite, we never quite figure them out. Okay. There's always more to be said. There's always more to be understood. There's always interpretation that has to be done for all day, for our day. And so what that means is when we study God, when we try to find out things about God and get to know God, we ought to do it with a little bit of humility. Okay? By the time you think you've got it figured out, you have a real problem. Okay, We're always wrestling with an infinite God. Now, with that groundwork, with that cookie in place, let's get to the icing. Because I want to talk about uh, one of the most important doctrines of our faith, which is probably simultaneously one of the most baffling. And uh, let's see if we can unpack the Trinity, but we're going to do it a little bit the way the church had to do it. The word Trinity means triunity or three in one. And by the way, it's a term that's not used in the Bible. You'll find a lot of our terms that we like to use are not really in the Bible. Incarnation is another one. It's a summary of the teaching of the Bible and ways that we found to express to express in Um, uh, explain what we read about in the scriptures and what we experience of God. In fact, there's only two places where we really get sort of this Trinity formula. One is Paul at the end of his letter to 2 Corinthians where he says, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the other is the Great Commission where Jesus says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay? Really only those two places that we get the Trinity at all. And so while the Trinity is developed later, it's generally accepted to to be a good description of what the Bible says. The New Testament gives us language of three entities to describe God. God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It never actually, though, in the Bible lays out how that all works. You've got to sort of piece it together. And so it took the church actually a very long time. To decide on how we're going to describe the Trinity. It gets described this way pretty early, but not everybody agrees with it. I mean, are these three distinct persons? Are they actually three gods that work together like a team? Does God switch back and forth? So God says, okay, I'm going to be the father, and then I'm going to be the Jesus, and then I'm going to be the Holy Spirit. Is that how that works? Some even said maybe God adopts a human being named Jesus and endows him with with power and with authority. But that Jesus isn't really God. It's just God sort of adopting this person. So the text that really throws the monkey wrench in a lot of this is the baptism of Jesus. We're going to be talking about this more next Sunday. Everybody remember the baptism of Jesus? John goes down in the water with Jesus. There's then a voice from above that says, this is my son, and then there's something like a dove that floats down, the spirit like a dove. And so that's the real problematic text here. Okay. How can God be switching back and forth if in that text we got all three? We've got a voice from heaven. We've got Jesus here and we've got a spirit descending. Okay. See, the early church is wrestling with this. They don't know how quite to make sense of all of this. So here's where it gets interesting. Uh, the Trinity is figured out and established over like a three to four hundred year period in the church. Okay, It involves a lot of fighting, a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. Right from the get-go, nobody says that God isn't God, especially the early believers who were primarily Jewish. They believed in one God, God was God, that was it, right? The real question was, was Jesus, okay? Sure, he did some, some God-like things, the transfiguration where several people saw his holiness he walks on water he feeds five thousand he calms the storm we haven't had a lot of those kind of people around right so okay he looks kind of, but but at the same time how could God become human would God really get angry and turn over tables in the temple courts and of course the big question how could God die okay how could God die this is a hard hard question right So that's the first hurdle. Do we believe that Jesus was fully God or not? The gospel of John is the gospel that really tries to spell this out in a lot of different kinds of ways. Okay, in John 1 we read that in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and what? The Word was God. So John right away, he's talking about Jesus as the Word and he's saying the Word was in the beginning, so the Word was eternal. The Word was with God, the Word was God. Now why would he say with God and was God? That's complicated, right? And, and so, but he's getting at, he, he is God. So John emphasizes that Jesus is eternal. Later in John 10, Jesus says, I and the father are one. Me and the father are one. We're, we're one thing. And then he says it even more strongly in George, John 14. Whoever has seen me has seen the father. Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the father. Like, we're that that tight, we're that the same, that when you see me, you see him. So there are early arguments about the divinity of Jesus, but after the dust settles, it sort of establishes that even though it's a paradox, he's got to be fully human and fully divine. I mean, to, to, to make sense of the Bible, he's got to be both, and they don't mess with each other, okay? It's not like oil and water where they sort of mix, you know, and it is like half one, half the other. No, no, no. He is all God and he's all human in some kind of amazing way. Okay. This is firmly established in the church at the Council of Nicaea. And are you ready? 325 A.D. Actually, not even everybody agreed then, but that's where it was firmly established that Jesus is. You understand that? Think about that. 300 years for the church to basically agree on that. 300 years of wrestling and discussion for them to be able to explain that. Now, once that is established, the question becomes the Holy Spirit. Sure, the Holy Spirit is called holy, but so is the temple. So is the ground around the burning bush. And those things aren't considered God. So is the Spirit actually God? Again, John is helpful. In John 14, uh, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth who the world cannot receive. Okay. When Jesus says he's another helper. What he's saying is I'm leaving. And so another person, another somebody like me is going to come. And it's going to be the Holy Spirit. Okay. What Jesus is saying is another one like me. Okay. When Peter gets up at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit comes. He preaches from Joel chapter 2. Where God says and I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Hebrews 9 also declares that the Holy Spirit is eternal. Okay? So the church wrestles with this and thinks about this. Okay, is the Holy Spirit really part of God? Is the Holy Spirit even a person? That's the other question. Is the Holy Spirit a person or just sort of a power that's around? But over years, they say yes. God is Father. Jesus is also God, but also The Holy Spirit is a person and he is God. That they are each their own person and yet somehow they're one. Because there's still monotheism. There's only one true God. That's the only way they could make sense of the biblical argument. Everybody following me? Everybody all right? Is everybody awake? Okay? They figured that out, by the way, in 381 at the uh, Council of Constantinople. 381. Takes almost 350 years for the church to really agree on this. Now, the church people had said this before. Uh, The term Trinity came from Tertullian, we think. He used it in about 215 AD. So the church has been wrestling with this, but they've been thinking about this. And so the church has forever then wrestled with this idea of God as a triune God. But you see, we don't just wrestle to know about God, and this is where this gets interesting. We don't just wrestle to know about God, we wrestle to know God. Okay, It's like when you're dating somebody, and you want to get to know them because you want to get to know them. you got to know about them because you want to build a relationship with them. Um, Do you know, in most of our traditions, we tend to emphasize one member of the Trinity over the other. Now, you are a mainline denomination uh, in the Presbyterian church. We tend to pray exclusively to God the Father. We tend to have a pretty strong Father emphasis in our faith. Um, now, you're also from a more conservative area, and so a little more evangelical, so there's a little more Jesus in there. If you go to a lot of evangelical churches, you're going to find them a little more focused on Jesus, and they pray to Jesus, and they, they talk about Jesus in a different kind of way. And then if you go to a Pentecostal church, Their emphasis is on the Holy Spirit, and they're praying to the Holy Spirit, and they're talking. And uh, so our traditions are often even emphasized on one of these. In fact, every major movement that I see in the church has involved the church rediscovering the Trinity in a new way. So, for example, when Martin Luther comes along, the church is very into God as Father. Okay? Especially in that time with the way the Catholic Church was because we saw the church fathers as fathers. Okay, and Martin Luther comes along and he really rediscovers Jesus in a new way. And so the Protestant church sort of gets that focus. Um, The Anglican church was really focused on uh, Jesus then. And there's this guy named John Wesley that comes along and has this emphasis on the Holy Spirit in a new and fresh way. It's really how George Fox and the Quakers get going. Okay, kind of a rediscovery of the Holy Spirit. And now Pentecostalism, I don't know if you're following the news around the world, But Pentecostalism is this huge, one of the largest growing, potentially the largest and fastest growing Christian movement in the history of Christianity, Pentecostalism in the world today. Okay, you go to the church in Africa, it's almost all Pentecostal. Okay, it's pretty amazing what a rediscovery of the Holy Spirit is doing. So back to the cookie part. Why is this kind of doctrine so important? Well, because we need to know about God so that we can get to know God better. Let me ask you in your prayer life, who do you pray to in the triune God? Most of your prayers are probably to the Father in the name of the Son. But if we take the Trinity seriously, why can't we pray to the Spirit? Why can't we pray to Jesus? And maybe your prayer life would really open up if you thought of God as more of a triune God. Maybe you need to understand not just God out there thinking about you, but the Holy Spirit in here working with and empowering you. See, even all of our understanding of God, even our 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 nomenclature of the Trinity, doesn't do God justice. Okay, what we are is like little kids trying to explain physics. You know what I mean. like a little three-year-old trying to explain string physics. That's what, I mean, we are trying to understand this infinite God and we're so broken that we're just taking stabs at it. And yet God honors our stabs, and God leads us in our attempts to try to engage our minds. And so we have to keep doing that work. And just like the church takes a couple hundred years to really explain the Trinity, I think the church today still has to do that. We have to explain the things of God to the world that we're in now. We still have to explain our faith in different ways. Maybe this will help you. My teacher, a guy named Leonard Sweet, talks about theology, doctrines, and beliefs as a trellis in a grape vineyard. Okay, have you ever seen a grape vineyard? Okay, so what, what you do is you, we've talked about grapes and it's a pretty biblical theme actually, right? You have vines and you have branches and if you're not careful, the branches will uh, wrap around the vines and they'll actually kill themselves. So you have to have the, the vine go high and then the branches hang down. So to do that, you give it some structure. It's called a trellis, okay? And you, so you set up this structure, this trellis, so that your fruit can grow. Now, If you don't have a trellis, you won't have good grapes. Okay, they just grow on the ground, they'll grow all over each other. You won't get good grapes. You have to have a trellis. But no farmers brag over their trellis. Okay, no farmers walk around arguing over what trellises are better because what really matters is the fruit. Okay, your theology, your thinking about God is like the trellis of your faith. Okay, if you don't have it, if you're not building with your mind a faith, it's in, then, then all, the, all the, the prayer and the disciplines and all these other things that come out of your faith, they're not going to produce fruit because they have nothing to hang on. At the same time, it's perfectly possible to know a lot about something but not know it. Okay, I know who Brad Pitt is. Okay, How many of you know who Brad Pitt is? Okay, I know what he looks like. I know some of the movies in it. I know that he's been, I I know a little bit about him. I know he's not here today because I probably would have noticed, right? Okay. I know about Brad Pitt. I don't know Brad Pitt. Okay. My relationship with Brad Pitt is non-existent and it bears no fruit in my life. I get nothing out of that relationship. Okay. If you don't have good theology... Okay? If you don't have some kind of basis, then your fruit won't grow. But I know plenty of people have great trellises and nothing growing on them. Okay? And you need both. You need to engage your mind and you need to engage your faith. And they should work together so that you are growing, so that your life bears fruit. Okay? Because getting to know God also means getting to know about God. And the way God has revealed himself is in his scriptures. So it means you want to get to know God, you better get to know his scriptures because that's where he talks the most. And going back to what I said earlier, God, when he reveals himself, does he reveal himself to individuals? A lot of times God reveals himself to community. That's why I hope you're here at church. Okay, that's why I want you to be engaged as we go into the way program. That's why I hope you get involved in a Sunday school. It's also why I tend to preach a little heavier sermons. Okay, it's not to put you to sleep. I'm trying not to do that. It's actually because I want to engage your mind because if I engage your mind, I believe the Holy Spirit has room to engage your heart. Okay? If those two things work together because we're here to encounter and get to know who that triune God is. And sometimes that takes some thinking and sometimes that takes some work on our part. Okay? But it's worth it so jump in. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you reveal yourself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Expand how we think about you. Expand how we pray to you. Expand how we engage in community that we would really know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.